Good evening and welcome to Podcast 1201. Uh, today you're joined by your host, Ollie Warwin. And uh, on this fine October evening, we're lucky enough to be joined by Bradley Alsop. Hi, folks. And by uh, Callum Watt. Good evening, Ollie. And Callum Roper as well. Good evening, everyone. It is indeed a fine October evening. And today we will be discussing uh, what went on at Labour Party Conference, which was uh, a few, the last last week in September. Um, so we have two people. We're joined by two people who, who were there in, in Brighton. Um, so we've got lots to talk about, from um, debates and motions to, to speeches and rule changes. So we'll start off with uh, the rule changes, which um, Keir Starmer and David Evans controversially proposed just before Labour Party conference. And there was a lot of oppositions with the, the unions, uh, but it did actually pass after a last minute backing from Unison. Um, but I think Keir Starmer himself was forced to water down some of the proposals. And uh, it's my understanding that it made a lot of uh, Labour Party members rather unhappy. Uh, what do you think, Callum? Uh, Callum, what, uh, what went on and how were the, the, the rule changes received at party conference? Well, party conference passed everything I believe that the NEC eventually put forward. Um, I have to say I didn't spend most of the conference on the conference floor itself because I was attending ex officio as a councillor. I was uh, bouncing around fringes and and and, uh, and and talking about interesting things with interesting people. Um, but uh, on the conference floor itself, um, the NEC uh, amendments all passed. But there was an interesting one with... Uh, that was passed from CLPs. This is quite normal, you have to understand. It's quite normal for the National Executive Committee's amendments at conference to be passed by the conference floor. Obviously, I, you could talk about the reasons for that. Ultimately, I suppose it's because um, they are the uh, elected representative body that governs the party most of the times. So they probably have some legitimacy on that basis. Uh, also, they will have been in negotiations, of course, with the trade unions who have 50% of the votes at conference. So I think those two factors usually mean that the NEC's rule changes can get through. Uh, so that's not really a huge surprise. And um, the one motion that did get through or the one rule change that did get through from CLPs was really uh, really positive which was to change the uh, rules around what happens with parliamentary selections um, there were um, of course m most people I'm sure Callum and Bradley will talk about uh, the election of the leader uh, the fact that unfortunately the the process of um, uh, members instigating an open selection process have been made uh, more difficult um, and I don't support those and I don't think our delegation did either um, but the the one change I found interesting was, was the CLP one uh, which said that in the circumstances of a snap general election the uh, instead of in the, in the last two elections, because they've been snap elections, that decision about who the candidate in each in each constituency has been has been decided by the NEC. Sometimes with disastrous results, for instance, in the case of Jared Amara, who was the uh, MP uh, for Sheffield Hallam, uh, who made some quite atrocious comments online. Um, and CLP actually warned the party that uh, in advance that though he wasn't their preferred candidate, the NEC selected him anyway. Um, now, that's not to say that all, uh, and of course, eventually he had to, uh, he had the whip removed from him and was chucked out of the party and so on and so forth. That's not to say that all of the candidates who were selected in that way were awful, but it's an example of how local members should have the right to choose their candidate and generally are a little wiser uh, when it comes to that one one would hope and so in this case if there's a, a if there is a, a snap election obviously you don't have the time to go through the months-long process of gaining nominations and campaigning and having lots of hustings 
um, you know, with various different groups, having them maybe going around to branches to talk to them, that sort of thing. It's all really got to be decided in the space of a, of a couple of weeks. Um, and under those circumstances, the rule now is that a panel of five will be formed with the CLP having a majority. So three will be elected from the CLP's executive committee. Uh, one will come from the regional executive committee and one from the national executive committee. Um, and uh, they will then draw up the shortlist and then there'll be a members meeting a week later to choose who the actual candidate is. Um, so I thought that was really positive, uh, a really, really positive change. Thank you for that context, Callum. Um, so what, what do you think this means then? Um, will it be more difficult, um, as, as Keir Starmer and David Evans and, and Labour right wanted it to be, to, to basically have another Jeremy Corbyn um, and a, a socialist leader of the Labour Party? Um, what, what do you think, Bradley? Yeah, so I think overall conference was probably a bit of a mixed bag, really. As as Callum highlighted, there were there were there were gains in the in terms of how much control the CRP has in in the case of a snap election in choosing the candidate. Um, there were there were various other machinations from the Starmer team that didn't quite see conference floor um, because they can get the support of unions. Um, but on the flip side, there there was the um, was it from ten percent to twenty percent of MPs needed um, to get to get a candidate on the ballot, which which will you know there's no two ways about it. It will make it much harder to get um, a socialist candidate on um, onto the ballot, especially after you know a number. Corbyn really got on because a number of people wanted to give a sort of tokenistic sort of debate within within the leadership contest, but they didn't really want him to, to get it. Um, so there'll be a group of people that might have done that in the past that won't do that now anyway. Plus now you'll need more MPs. To, to get over the threshold. I think it's going to be much more difficult to get um, a socialist MP on there. I think the two things are connected, though, because, of course, if CRPs have more control over who their MPs are, um, then that obviously will affect the PRP arithmetic when it comes to a leadership contest as well. Um, so I, I think in terms of democracy, in, in terms of rule changes in the party, I think what we saw was a bit of a mixed bag, really. Um, but it was it, to me, it was it's quite clear now. You know, if, if it hasn't been for, for the last eighteen months, it's very very clear now that Starmer and his team have no interest in unity. Um, they are still incredibly inward looking, in, incredibly focused on um, destroying any chance of, of a left revival within the party. Um, so, so any talk of unity, any talk of looking outwards, any talk of of building a party that, that's looking outwards to the electorate from, from Starmer's camp to, to me is, is just bollocks at this point. It's clearly not what they're focused on or it hasn't been up until now. Maybe after this conference, they'll feel they've got enough. They've, they've done enough at this point. Maybe, I don't know, but um, it clearly it's not been their focus up until now. Their focus has, has been restraining the left within the party. Um, and, and I mean, to me, it, you know, it, it's just disgraceful really. If you, believe in your ideas if you've got confidence in the direction you want to take the party then have that debate at a conference you know ha have that debate across CLPs have that debate within the party don't try and manipulate the democratic structures to lock out your opponents it's just a disgrace really yes and, and many people have called it um, anti-democratic and obviously an attack on the left um, I think recently before over the summer we saw uh, Labour expel quite a few groups from the party um, quite a few socialist groups and quite hard left groups. Um, so yeah, you know, after after the twenty nineteen defeat, after Jeremy Corbyn was defeated um, in that faithful election, arguably the the socialist part of of Labour were as weak as it ever been. Really, there are a few things I think which are left over from um, you know Labour's movement. But as 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 we've kind of said on this podcast before, you know. Thousands of, of members, of Labour members, have been driven out of the party because of the, the direction of the leadership, which is obviously a real shame. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to, to question when, when as, as you say, Bradley, uh, the leadership are, are, are saying one thing and then, and then doing another. It's, it doesn't exactly instill, instill trust. Um, so, so what do you think, Callum Roper? Do you think um, this, this will t take a long time for... Um, you know, the left to recover from this properly and, and have uh, trust within their party again and even maybe draw back some of the people which have felt the need to, to leave the party. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, and I don't even think it's just the left that's going to be negatively impacted by this. But, you know, we're going to talk about minority groups within the party. Um, yes, the left, but also women as well. Representation in, in terms of our leadership elections are going to be a lot worse now going forward. And that's the simple fact. Somebody pointed out um, when we were debating this, this uh, whole threshold in, in terms of raising it, saying that in 20... In the 2020 leadership election where Starmer was elected, the choice on the ballot would have been Keir Starmer or Keir Starmer, given if if it was being run under the uh, proposed changes which have since been passed. So this has absolutely uh, damaged the internal democracy of the Labour Party. Um, It was something that, that had been under threat for quite some time now, and it's not just the Starmer leadership, but leaders before um, have, have sought to undermine the, me- the membership's vote. I think that one of the big positive things that came out of it in terms of party democracy, that uh, one member, one vote was protected. That was seen off before. Um, it was going to be bought before conference. And I think that there would have been an almighty battle to keep it. Um, there would have been um, far more uh, opposition than what we saw in terms of the leadership changes. Um, and just for context, the... The, the argument put forward by the uh, by the proponents of the um, of, of the leadership rule changes uh, were that if you cannot convince your own party um, to back you, then how can you convince the public? Well, yes, I appreciate that, but a labor a labor party or a political party, we're here to have internal debates. We're here to uh, essentially hold our leaders to account or potential leaders to account. If they're going to put themselves forward, they need to be scrutinised. And I don't think that in a leadership election that we should just have uniformity and and the PLP should just fall behind one leader before the election's even taken place. I think the PLP should fall into line potentially afterwards, once we've elected a leader, once the PLP, the trade unions, the membership have all had their say, Every, every single one of them are important parts of the Labour Party, But to then cut out the power of the membership or to reduce the power of the membership by essentially whittling down who will actually get get elected or voted upon, I think that's that's incredibly damaging because it does mean that we lose the diversity of ideas, the diversity of individuals and the diversity of different groups within the Labour Party. There's so many different ways of thinking. Some of them I agree with, some of them I don't. And there's so many amazing people, many of whom are, are from underrepresented groups. We, we're attacking that. And to say that we're a party of democracy and diversity and inclusion, and then to take that away in electing our leader, the future prime minister of our country, potentially, is is beggar's belief. I, I think it's, it's an incredibly sad change that we've made. And I think that the uh, the party shouldn't have been thinking about the leadership elections. They shouldn't have been thinking about those processes. Instead, we should be thinking about how do we empower our members, bring them back on board. We're losing members since our uh, since our peak that we had. We're we're hemorrhaging members. So how do we bring them back on board? I don't think cutting their voice and telling them that actually a a, a select group of members, i.e., the PLP, should have a have a, a say first and a very powerful say at that. So I think that it's not going to be turning around Labour's fortunes by doing that, really giving members power, giving members the say on, on how the parties um, run, who's going to be the leader, who's going to be our deputy leader, who's going to be my my potential MP going forward. That's what members want to have a say on and they should rightfully have a say on it. Quite right, Callum, and very well put, in my opinion. Um, you know, at a time when you've got arguably um, one of the most hard right uh, governments in 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 office, um, you know, you need a, a strong opposition, and you need uh, to hear from the voices uh, that are previously unheard. What, what do you think, Callum? What? Yeah, I, I agree with what uh, Callum was saying before. The um this package, if you like, of uh, changes, which included the 20% of the PLP nomination element, uh, was entitled Getting Labour Election Ready. Well, what has that got to do with 
assuming it's re uh, referring to general elections, what's it got to do with um, general elections? Absolutely nothing. It's about how you choose the leader. Um, in some respects, I'm not too worried about it, though, because a, uh, it's, it's a minor change, which can probably be put right at a future conference. And this is where we do need to look forward. Um, I went to, on the last night of conference, uh, I went to the World Transformed and I went to see uh, the a rally by the Socialist Campaign Group, which is the group of uh, socialist left-wing members in the House of Commons. And interestingly, also now in the House of Lords. Um, They're quite proud of that, actually, weirdly. I'm not certainly not in favour of the House of Lords, but they were talking about the fact that they had a couple now in there, including Shami Chakrabarti, which is which is really good to see. Um, but more importantly, in the House of Commons, they have 36 MPs, which uh, a bit of basic arithmetic here is almost enough to reach 20% anyway. Um, so they only really need to persuade uh, a few uh, soft left uh, MPs, I would suggest, uh, to nominate a left-wing candidate to see them put on the ballot. Now, obviously, that's not guaranteed. Whipping is very much a thing. Um, someone could get sick. Someone could be, you know, there's plenty of ways that uh, MPs can disappear off the roster. Um, but even under the present circumstances, it's not completely dire. Uh, and also, of course, it can always be changed by a future conference. To, uh, and that was the other point that uh, people like Lloyd Russell Moyle, sorry, uh, and um, uh, and others were making that evening which was to say, and there were plenty of people in that room who were previously in the Labour Party um, or had never been in the Labour Party, stay in the fight, stay in the struggle. It's called a struggle for a reason. Um, and they were encouraging people to stay because, you know, if you ha will have future rule changes. You will have future conferences where we will want left-wing delegates uh, and we will want more left-wing MPs being selected as well. So I think that was the overwhelming message. And, and also... Um, on some of the uh, motions at conference where there was a right-wing majority, that's only because Unison, one of the biggest unions in the affiliate section, which as we see, as I say, has 50% of the vote, um, had still its old um, <clears throat> right-wing political committee directing its delegates uh, because they uh, only they elected a left-wing EC earlier this year, but their terms don't start until later this year. So by the time we come to next year's conference, we're going to face probably a, 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 a ideologically altered vote from the trade unions as well. Obviously, we've lost the B, uh, BFAWU, which is a problem, but that's nowhere near as significant as whatever position Unison takes, which during the... Uh, election of Jeremy Corbyn the first time round, plenty of people said that their backing of Jeremy Corbyn was notable um, because Unison is basically the centre of the centre of the Labour Party, um, you know, representing public sector workers. Uh, and the position that they take is very, very significant in terms of Labour Party politics. And um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens in future conferences and to left-wing members. It's absolutely essential you stay in the fight because absolutely not over, uh, and you can influence things. Mm, I have to agree. Um, I've heard quite a bit about this, and I, I think the only way is to, to stay in and fight from the inside, um, although I know other people feel quite strongly against that. Uh, but anyway, we're going we're gonna to move on to um, some of the, the motions you, you referenced um, and some of the policy uh, which happened at conference. Um, a personal uh, personal downside of, of the one that I've, I've seen is uh, that unions have voted down uh, the local Labour Party's call to axe first past the post, which is a shame, um, in a system which actively punishes, uh, you know, minor parties. I think that'd be quite an interesting one to discuss, but there's a lot of um, a lot of big policy to discuss as well. Callum, if you want to come back quickly. I, I, I just wanted to address that one directly, because, if I may, because the the PR vote was a real shock. I mean, that, that motion, 
for all the for plenty of logical reasons i'm sure that don't need re-emphasizing here um pr or some form of pr would be objectively in our interests uh, rather than first past the post um, we can see how it works in wales for instance it doesn't work so well for the labor party in scotland uh, but it probably works better for scotland as a whole uh, and indeed most of the rest of europe where they have somewhat better political systems than we do and much fairer systems so that's a brief summary of the the politics behind it um it was backed at conference by a huge number of CLPs, um, and yet when it went to the conference floor, obviously it was voted down. Uh, despite having the votes of the vast majority of CLPs, the trade unions went completely the other way. Um, and I was very shocked by that. I'd actually, um, I hadn't said it to people, but I had been thinking that it was almost not worth um delegates being in the room for it because it was going to be a unanimous vote i thought i'm glad in a way that i didn't advise people of that and that they did stay in the room um but nevertheless the unions went the way it was only explained afterwards that the reason for that uh, was that trade unions have to vote on policy based on a mandate from their membership because of the pandemic a lot of trade unions, including the CWU and Unite, for instance, hadn't had a policy conference for, I think, several years, um, which means that they didn't have a firm policy on it. And indeed, I think in the case of Unite, the last policy conference that actually voted against PR. And so on that basis, that's why they voted against it. So um, once again, you have to look forward a little bit and say, well, that's disappointing. But I think that once trade unions have had the chance to discuss this and, and mandate their delegates as such, it will probably pass at the next conference. It's just a little bit frustrating for those of us who want to see electoral reform in the short term. Surely if you don't have a mandate, either way, the position should be to abstain, not vote against. I think, the, uh, I think they may be interpreting it on the basis of the speaker's rule, in a way, that you... Uh, that you therefore uh, vote for the status quo. Hmm. Question questionable. I think no mandate is no mandate. <laughs> you should just abstain. But fine, fine. <laughs> mm. oh, was it a particularly this, 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 Sorry, chair. No, sorry, go on. This this was just their position. Um, I have to say, I'm not as familiar with the intricacies of. Um, into union politics as I am with Labour Party proper, as it were. Um, but that was the explanation that was given. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, and I, certainly it, it is frustrating for people who back a more proportional system, which absolutely should be in the interest of everyone in Labour. Um, you know, proportional reputation, representation, it, it, it's just a no-brainer um, at the moment when you've got um, some parties like the Greens, you have to have 100,000 votes uh, in order to get one MP, whereas uh, for uh, the Tories, it's uh, only around 40,000 on average votes per MP. It's just, it's, yeah, go on, Bradley. Yeah, I, I would just like to slightly challenge what, what Callum said about PR, in that I am absolutely a supporter of PR um, on, you know, democratic fair votes principles you know it, it just makes more sense as a democratic system it, it gives more gives a more equal weighting to to votes um and gives smaller parties uh, a, a more commensurate amount of influence in, in governance compared to the votes they get so i, I absolutely support pr on, on democratic principles i'm not necessarily convinced that it will benefit labor directly um i've i've not seen the electoral maths for that uh i i think yeah, if you look at vote shares across parties over the last 20 years or something like that, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if the evidence is there that the Labour Party will, will benefit hugely. And I also think it's also quite unknown because I think PR, to some extent, will change how people vote. So I don't think you can look at like the 2019 election and say those, those are the percentages the parties would get under, under um, PR. Because I think the fact that we have a new electoral system will influence who people choose to vote for. I think you'll see people more likely to vote for smaller parties than they would have been otherwise. I think that you know we we need to 
you need to vote Labour to keep out the Tories or in some seats you need to vote Lib Dem to keep out the Tories or, or vice versa for those that are more prone to listen to those arguments. I think those will have less sway on people. People will be more willing to vote in the way they want, which is absolutely a reason in favour of PR because people should be able to have confidence in the electoral system to vote the way they want, not to keep out the other guy. Um, so I think there's loads of unknowns of PR. So, so for me, I, I do support PR, but it's on democratic principles. I'm not necessarily convinced that it's going to help the Labour Party, at least in the short to midterm. I've, I've just not seen the evidence for it. Okay, yeah, and I'll stand corrected if, if that's the case um, and it won't necessarily benefit uh, Labour MPs up and down the country. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one there. Um, so we'll move on now to uh, some of the, the kind of headline uh, policy from, from conference. Um, we had some very uh, dramatised, uh, I would say, resignations from, uh, what, just one actually, sorry, from uh, Andy McDonald, who was the shadow um, employment minister. Um, so he resigned on the basis that he refused to argue against a, a minimum for £15 minimum wage uh, in a meeting with union officials. Um, so that was quite uh, intense and it, it kind of... Uh, um, it kind of dispelled any um, any feelings of of um, of there being a, a united kind of Labour Party in in my view anyway. Um, that's certainly how it was reported in the media. Uh, but some of the other policy uh, we had uh, Rachel Reeves wanting to be the first Green Chancellor, as she puts it, to spend uh, twenty eight billion each year until twenty thirty on uh, green investment and infrastructure infrastructure and jobs. We had um, lots of policy with uh, the economy and housing and education, uh, but I think some of it was a little bit, uh, I don't know how you would say, maybe like tepid, I guess, uh, particularly uh, economically arguing against um, a 15 pound minimum wage. There was some stuff um, I did see, which is actually whether a £15 minimum wage would benefit the economy, but the economy is made up of people, in my view, and that would benefit people. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'd have to look at it in, in it some more. Um, we'll go to Callum Roper. Let, let's, let's, have you got some insight into some of your favourite policy or perhaps some policy which, um, which didn't get through or was voted down? Yeah, I think some of the some of the stuff that came out of, of the conference, certainly um, some of the composite motions um, that came from from CLPs and unions were very positive indeed. Um, you touched on uh, on, uh, on on the the so called first green chancellor. Um, we, we've that was that was actually a very positive speech from her. I think that um, I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting um, such a strong commitment to investing in in uh, green technology and a green economy. And that was only uh, further boosted by the fact that we had not one but two. Um, Green New Deal composite motions passed. Um, the politics of of why there was two uh, was was partially down to we couldn't agree on on certain transitional uh, methods such as nuclear and things like that and protection for nuclear workers. But nonetheless, uh, Lincoln played its part in that. Uh, the the CLP delegates we we had two in the composite meeting that had an input into into that process so that's something that we can be very proud of but actually i think what came out of that was a a uh, a set of policies or at least a direction for the labor party that is actually genuinely radical um in terms of trying to stop this uh, what is what is very quickly turning into a snowball effect uh, of, of of climate cri- of the climate crisis um really we uh we needed it a lot sooner from the uh from the labor party and from conference um but it's that's for me is one of the the highlights um just on some of the other stuff there's some there was some good stuff done on um i, I suppose recently there's been a lot of issues around women's safety um it's it's i suppose it's difficult for a podcast with four males to be speaking about this but um there is a big concern out there in terms of safety on the streets um there was some uh, composite motions on that we had some fantastic policy passed on black lives matter you know these are some of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of years certainly since we started doing this podcast these are some of the big issues and uh labor party conference is talking about it and passing motions that are uh, hopefully going to be fed into 
the next manifesto, which will uh, certainly from my perspective, I have hoped that we, we will not be watering it down, but actually building it up. These are just a, a platform, a starting point uh, for us to essentially engage with these big issues and these big policy ideas that if the Labour Party wants to be electable, we've got to be speaking about these things and we've got to have a solution. And I think that a solution will only come if we take these policies, these composite motions, and we we expand them, we build on them, we put at the core of them is, is the issues at hand, not trying to, uh, I suppose, go for the optics of it, but actually trying to solve issues, a Labour Party that's going to solve issues. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. And, you know, this is really an issue which matters to a lot of people. Um, you know, a, a green kind of reformation um, of, you know, the economy, of, of infrastructure, of jobs. Um, the UK has uh, one of the highest ratios of people uh, in the in the world, um, which, you know, rate the, the climate crisis as something um, which should be, you know, top of the agenda up there with, with health and and jobs and crime. Um, so it, it is, you know, this is one of the biggest issues, in my opinion, for for a lot of people. Um, what, what do you think, um, Callum? Is it the quite the Green New Deal you might have been expecting? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> as we were discussing before, members are leading the way on this. The Green New Deal, I was pleased to note, was included in Keir Starmer's speech which we'll talk about later, um, but certainly it wasn't the centrepiece. But nevertheless, it is now nominally party policy. It won't become part of the manifesto unless the Clause 5 meeting agrees it to be. Clause 5 obviously being a sort of uh, almost alternative version of the NEC in a way, representatives from the Parliamentary Labour Party, Shadow Cabinet, um, trade unions, socialist societies, CLPs all meet together to cobble together what the actual manifesto is and the text will be determined by Akia Stam's staff. So one hopes that what will be included in it will be included, has been included, will be included rather. Um, it is essentially what uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey was working on before the last general election. Uh, with a few changes here and there. Um, all of the changes, in my view, are necessary, and conference recognised that. Um, so, yes, I, I, I'm, I was pleased to see it pass. Lincoln obviously put its own motion forward, uh, and that was included in the text uh, of, of, the, uh, of the policy. Um, so, yeah, um, very pleased. It's just a question of seeing it actually go through into the manifesto and making it more of a centrepiece of our campaigning over uh, the coming years to keep it in people's consciousness. I think we've uh, discussed before how groups like Extinction Rebellion, having played their part, I suppose, in bringing this issue to the fore, are now struggling to remain relevant. And I think that that is because the discussion on climate change has now moved firmly into the political sphere. Um, it will come onto the streets again, no doubt, but only when there's another disaster, I suspect. Um, and of course, as I've mentioned before, those events also need to be utilised as part of our campaigning, but we can't plan for them, right? Um, so in the political sphere is, is where it is for the moment. Um, so yeah, so I was absolutely pleased, ec ecstatic, I suppose, to see to see to see that pass um, so comfortably, um, and it just has to be uh, developed more from there to ensure that it becomes part of a workable manifesto uh, as part of a, a, a credible plan for government, which is the uh, uh, the common phrase today, isn't it? A credible plan for government. Yeah, that's what Corbyn didn't have allegedly. Um, but I completely, completely agree with you, um, you know, on how important uh, this should be and how, how it's uh, in, in is the centre ground of politics now. Um, I think, you know, I was impressed by Rachel Reeves as much as I uh, have mixed opinions on her. Um, I was impressed with that commitment for, for 28 billion each year. I think it should be more, um, but that's just because I am quite a radical when it comes to the environment. Um, but you know, you know, it's 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 a big step in the right direction, I think. Um, so, 
we'll move on a bit to uh, the leader's speech as well. I, I think, you know, green policy could be could have been absolutely huge um, if he had framed it around this uh, more centrally, um, you know, in the in the background of um, coming up to COP26, uh, the biggest uh, climate accord since um, 2015 Paris Accords, rather than framing it around uh, the party and uh, I'm, I'm told the the speech of his family went went down quite well. Um, but what what do you think, uh, Callum? We you you were there and you you had some opinions on on Keir's speech, Callum Roper. Yeah, um, as as much as I've been a, a critic of Keir Starmer up to to date, I actually came out of the speech feeling a lot more positive than I went into it. Um, I think that actually there. I think sort of working through how the speech, um, I suppose, was structured. It was very much about his, uh, I suppose, his, his foundations. Where does he get his uh, his views from? Where does he establish his leadership style? Where Where is the Labour Party going under him? Um, I mean, it was quite a, a big focus on uh, this, This, uh, I suppose, his, his family upbringing, his, uh, his father... Um, working in a factory, you know, you know the tools of your trade, and he was speaking about his his tools of, of the trade, and 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 you know, I, I found it um, an interesting approach. Actually, it wasn't a uh, a list of what we're going to do. It certainly wasn't setting out a manifesto of of what the Labour Party is going to do when when we achieve government, and and no leader's speech should be. Um, but I, I think it went in an interesting direction um, and there was some good stuff in there. I think the Green New Deal, the transformative power of it um, was something that he, he spoke about. And I think that that's something that we, uh, we we certainly need to be focusing on as a party, not just for the environmental justice that it brings, but also the, the social justice that it brings. Um, the I think he's speaking about the his involvement previously in the justice system and uh, setting out, you know, when he was head of the CPS, what he was doing there. I think that that's a real contrast to now to what we see in the current justice system, where um, rapists get away with with committing atrocious crimes. You have the uh, parole service is, is effectively non-existent or or on its knees. Prisons are overcrowded. And there's no attempt at um, any sort of reconciliation for prisoners. Once you're in prison, that's it. There's no opportunities to retrain and learn, not because of the people in the prison system working hard at the front, but because there's a failure of policy and a failure of any financial commitment to turning the lives around of these prisoners. And, you know, things like that he was touching on. And, and you know, a, a, a Labour Party that's looking at justice and, and social equality. Um, and, uh, you know, and in, uh, to some extent, he didn't go far enough. Um, I'd like to see some more radical policies, but that's that's my approach. But actually, I think having heard Keir Starmer speak by and large to empty rooms, given the uh, given the the last eighteen months of his leadership, essentially has been during the pandemic. Um, it's a good opportunity to hear him speak into a crowd, and I think that um, really that was the uh, that was really uh, I think it was a surprise from my perspective. And, and, and one line that I think stood out to me um, from the speech was. Um, he, he was heckled a number of times throughout the speech by uh, one or two people uh, in, in, the, in the room. And um, one of the things that I think stood out was when he said, are we going to be uh, shouting slogans or, or changing lives? And I think that from my perspective, I would certainly rather be changing lives than shouting slogans. Callum. I think my assessment of it could almost be summarised as it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. From, for some, partly for the same reason that Callum just mentioned, I never actually, I hadn't seen him speak in front of a conference before, certainly not in front of a large crowd since becoming leader. Um, I had seen him speak before at court party conference in 2019 and also to Labour Party conference 
in 2017, I believe. Uh, neither time did he set the world on fire, I have to say. But then, of course, as, as I think I've mentioned before, he only had the Brexit role, the un unenviable Brexit role at the time, which hardly was an opportunity for making barnstorming speeches. So in terms of aesthetics, I suppose, it was a really good speech. Um, obviously, he went down the, the classic route of explaining his backstory. I think the quip about his father being a toolmaker was a little unwise, but, uh, but there we are. Um, I can see where, where he was going with that. Um, I think that it will play well with certain demographics that obviously he's chasing, which is to say, uh, I, I think middle-aged white men, mostly in the Midlands, from a working class background to a now middle class, which is obviously a very, very small fraction of the country. Um, but that's what he set out to do, and, and he did it. So obviously, it was nice to hear the thing about the Green New Deal, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, he did neglect to mention the £15 minimum wage, although there were some people in the crowd who were trying to helpfully remind him of it. Um, he didn't manage to actually include it in the speech, which I think was a missed opportunity. Um, and I came from, came away from it, th as I came away from it, uh, I mean, you, you were interviewed by the media, uh, Callum, and I, I saw several other people from, from Lincoln and other places, people I knew who were interviewed, and I never quite got a camera in my face. But the, uh, And it's probably just as well, because I had this growing... Uh, feeling afterwards that there was something missing from it and that it was making me angry, actually. And uh, I couldn't put a fi my finger on it at the time because I wasn't really asked in depth by anyone what that omission was. But someone did ask me about it a couple of days later and it suddenly occurred to me, what are the two seminal issues in our time? One is climate change, obviously. That's the big one. There's nothing bigger than that. But the other one is housing. The simple fact is that people my age, I'm 28, people who are a bit older, certainly people who are younger, don't have a real prospect unless their parents are rich or they have it from some other source of having a secure home. Most people are in a position where they're going to be privately renting for the foreseeable future. And we also have a low wage economy. Okay, at the moment, actually, things aren't, uh, things look like they might be improving because of the pandemic, there's a loss of vacancies at the moment. But that's not going to last because the government doesn't support that sort of high wage economy, despite what they say. They're in favour of a low wage, uh, high unemployment economy because that in that suppresses wages and increases uh, profits for the capitalist class. And, okay, on the last thing I mentioned about wages and so on, he didn't mention the £15 minimum wage, and he also didn't talk about providing secure, safe, social and affordable housing for a huge proportion of the population for whom it is now a matter of life and death, you know, you know, or, or and that that just made me pissed off actually when it, when I was thinking about it a couple of days later that it was just not mentioned in the speech at all, and I don't understand why because you have he mentioned the fuel crisis he ripped into the government a little bit about that but not too much. We also have a housing crisis in this country and we have a climate crisis as well. Those would have been the three things that I would really try to hammer the Tories with from the podium. And if you compare it to his speech the next week, which I didn't watch, but obviously I've seen a lot of analysis of it. I've seen the polls as well. Yes, he, he's come across as competent. He's come across as better than Boris Johnson. But that's in terms of bars to clear. That's like stepping over a three foot. It's like well, not even a three foot fence, a three inch fence. And uh, I think that it could have been. I, it wasn't as bad as I thought, 
that I thought it could have been a whole lot better. And the next time we go to conference, it might be in the lead up to a general election. I think it probably will be in 2023. He talks about having a credible plan for government. It needs to be a list. It needs to be a list of things that we are going to fundamentally change about the lives of people in this country. Those are the things that get through to people. It has to be part of a credible plan. Uh, of course, I know people criticise the 2019 manifesto, but I think the analysis of that is that ultimately this was just a lot of policies that were sort of fronted up to people almost at the last minute because it was a snap election. The next conference will be happening uh, months in advance of the next general election. It is his chance to lay out his stall for what a Labour government is going to do to transform this country. And it needs to be, this is an okay start, but it needs to be much, much better next year. Much, much better next year. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if, um, you know, he's even in, in the office of leader of the opposition. <laughs> um, I hate to say it. But um, Bradley, what do you think as an outsider, um, as, you know, as someone involved with the Labour Party, but you didn't attend conference? Um, I'm sure you have some opinions on the leader's speech. Uh, do you think this will appeal to the kind of demographic that Keir Starmer uh, wants to appeal to? Or do you think it will just, you know, drive away young people that can't afford housing, as, as Callum rightly says. Yeah, so I, I didn't um, I, I didn't watch, see the speech um, in its entirety. I, I've caught little snippets here and there. Um, but I mean, can we first of all address the length? An hour and a half is just egotistical by, by any measure, whoever you are. I, I, whoever you are, I'm probably not going to sit and listen to you talk non-stop for an hour and a half. Um, I, I, so I think... First of all, make it a bit shorter, Keir, for God's sakes. Um, but I, I also think, I mean, I'm surprised that Cal, the the thing that stuck out to Callum was the, you know, chance slogans or or change lives, um, because as far as I can see, Keir hasn't done either of those things. Um, yeah, really, what he's doing there is setting up, saying having ideals against, you know, being being purist about ideals. He's setting that up against. Against electoral success is really what he's getting out of that retort. Um, but of course, Starmer's got either of those things in his bag. He's not particularly ideologically or morally committed to, to many values, as, as far as anyone can tell, um, after 18 months. But, but he's also got a piss poor electoral record as well. So it's not it's, as a retort, it's kind of, I always think it's a lazy retort to that sort of thing anyway. Like, if you don't agree with an idea, debate the idea on its merits. Don't just say, oh, it's not. It's not possible. It's not electorally successful. It's not going to work. Blah, blah, blah. If the idea is the right thing to do, if it's going to improve people's lives, then go out there and have that debate with the country. So it always annoys me when people throw those sorts of things around anyway, because it's just lazy thinking and a lazy way to dismiss an idea. But it's also the last person that should be coming back with that is Keir Starmer, because he, he's not done either. Um, uh, from, I'm not going to comment too much more on the content of the speech, because two of the people that spoke before me have seen it in its entirety, but um, I, w I would agree with Callum that from the, the snippets I've seen and the analysis I've seen, you know, it, I, I would say the, the second biggest issue, Callum, is pro probably slightly wider than housing. I think it's inequality in general, wealth inequality, of which housing is one of the more obvious symptoms, I think. Um, but, yeah, you know, Starmer hasn't addressed these things. Um, and I don't think he ever will because he, he doesn't have a desire to systemically change British society. He doesn't have a plan to address the big issues that faces over, over the next few decades. Um, and yeah, given, given some of the things he tried to do at this conference that he didn't quite get his way with, um, I'm also increasingly, I don't really care what Starmer has to say anymore as leader. Um, I, I either think he won't be leader by the next general election, or if he is, it'll be disastrous for Labour. Um, so I'm sort I I feel like Starmer has crossed too many lines now and he, he he's had he's had enough goodwill from the left of the party um so i i don't really care what starmer has to say anymore certainly not enough to listen to 90 minutes of it mm. yeah i mean it's uh, it's a difficult one isn't it um because he's just betrayed as you say he's betrayed the trust of many people um many times and you know that's what's driven a lot of people away 
and that's what's driven the, the younger way because it seemingly you know it should be kind of a very easy thing to get young people on board with uh, the labor movement more broadly um but as as people who are, are frequently um you know bearing the burdens um increasingly of a very disproportional society um it, it should be you know something that's almost uh, interchangeable with with the labor movement and um, having young people on board what do you think um come what just just wanted to respond really to the point about inequality not being included um yeah of course of course it is uh, the climate uh, and, and inequality in general i think i was approaching it on the basis that uh, housing is a, a much more tangible and as as Bradley said, a visible thing, uh, which is easy to get into people's minds. Um, I think the the two, the two biggest things for me that cause inequality is is uh, housing insecurity and job insecurity. Um, if you've got a decent job and a home, then you're automatically doing better than than many many people who who live in poverty. Um, I think that that was my main point. Um, I mean, I, and, but I do understand why Bradley gets exasperated by the idea of 90 minutes of listening to the guy. Uh, as I say, he's not the world's greatest public speaker anyway, um, and especially when it's a bit what he's saying is a little bit wishy-washy, at least from our perspective. Um, I think in the end, the, the, only, the main reason I decided to stay, apart from obviously our fortunes as a party being somewhat dependent on... Um, on, on what he does actually say. The main reason I stayed in the hall is because we get to see the sing the red flag at the end of the conference. And I wasn't going to miss, at the end of 18 months of the pandemic, singing that in a hall full of thousands of co uh, comrades from across the country. Um, and and uh, in celebration of that, that's why I wanted to be there. And we also sing Jerusalem as well, which talks about building a better world, which I always find positive, even though I'm not particularly religious. Um, I always enjoy singing that one, so I wanted to stick around. If not for Keir Starmer's speech, then for that. <laughs> um, Callums, did either of you catch Angela Rayner's speech? Um, and, and what did you think of it if you did? I, I actually got ushered down to the front for it because um, I was ex officio. I, got a, uh, I had a seat uh, in, or, or rather I was allocated to sit somewhere in the balcony you know, up in the gods in, in the in in the uh, conference hall. But uh, it was funny because lots of people didn't want to sit next to one another because we're still a little bit, I think it's changed behaviour, the pandemic a little bit. So while there were empty seats, there were lots of people sort of milling around at the top of the stairs and eventually uh, they ushered us down to the front to sort of fill in where there were some gaps uh, in, in the trade union section. Um, so I actually did sit down and, and watch Angela Rayner's speech from quite close up to her, actually. Um, and I was quite impressed with it. Um, I, I think she's definitely, and, and uh, perhaps unlike Sama, she, she more forcefully talked about policies. Um, and I think she is definitely, she's probably Keir Starmer's heir apparent and he knows it. Um, and uh, whether that will play out, um, we shall see. But anyone who's uh, who's willing to uh, call call the story scum openly is is okay in my book. So uh, I was impressed with her speech, and I was impressed with her at conference. We'll see what happens next. Mm, she's she's got a lot of backers, is my understanding, isn't she? Um, and... She's very well connected. I mean, she was the I think she was the the, the head of Unison in the Northwest. Um, which is a very, very powerful um, section of, of that trade union, which as I mentioned earlier, is the beating, you know, one of the, well, it's not the beating heart of the Labour Party, but it's right in there. Uh, if you see what I mean, it's a critical component of it. Uh, she's very diplomatic. Uh, she's got lots of friends, both on the left and the right of the party. Um, so she has all of the ingredients for a potentially successful leadership run. Um, and she is quite charismatic, and she's a good speaker as well. Uh, and, of course, she's a woman, which everyone on all wings of the party agrees. Um, and yet next leader should be one uh, a woman. We haven't had one, not a permanent leader, woman leader yet. So 
um, yeah, she's definitely in pole position. But then, you know, back in the day, Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president of the United States, and that didn't play out so well. Um, I'm not comparing the two at all, but I'm just saying there is no such thing as inevitability in politics. Um, but she's got a very good chance. Yeah, I quite like the idea of um, of having, uh, you know, a, a working class leader, um, you know, um, you know, someone with a kind of regional accent who represents uh, minorities and people who um, are generally oppressed by by the capitalist system. I like that. Um, and we'll, we'll see. Maybe maybe she will be. Uh, but, you know, the, the Keir Sama saga is not over yet. Um, and it's it's impossible to, to rule him out as leading us into the next general election. Um, so I guess we'll just have to see. Um, do you have any final takings away uh, from from conference? We'll go to Callum Roper. I think my uh, my one takeaway from it is this, is that, yes, there is a, a lot of division within the Labour Party, um, and that gets covered quite heavily on the news and uh, by the by the media and the tabloids. But actually, going to conference, I think one of the important things that I've learned is that actually amongst the members and amongst the vast majority of, of, our, uh, of our political class, if you like, in the Labour Party, so our councillors, our MPs, and so, so on and so forth, actually there's a lot of unity there. And there's a lot of fantastic ideas and a lot of great people that are trying to make the world a better place. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great celebration of the Labour Party and an opportunity for us to discuss those things and come together as, as one political unit. And uh, I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of uh, uh, essentially writing off the party as a divided uh, and hopeless body. But actually, I think that it's, it, it brings a lot of hope. And certainly all the conversations I was having uh, with people were positive and looking to share ideas and really have an enthusiasm for what the future holds. That's very nice. I like I like that to round off. Um, Callum, what? Uh, a bittersweet conference in many ways, um, but I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, and uh, as I say, probably partly because I wasn't on the conference floor a lot of the time. Um, uh, that might change next year. We'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, well, it's uh, yeah. It, uh, yeah, there's lots. To, there's lots of positive things to take out of this conference, as we've discussed, um, and I think it bodes reasonably well for next year. Um, the members are leading the way in the party still, uh, and uh, it's just up to Keir Starmer whether he wants to follow, as I, as I've said before, or if he wants to continue pressing back against it. We'll see what happens over over the next year. We might even have a step general election in the next twelve months. Who knows, Ollie? How um, exciting! Politics, politics <laughs> over the last five years have been very unpredictable. So we'll just have to see. Uh, do you have anything to add, Bradley? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the two Callums are right. I think there's definitely um, there's definitely positives to take out of what's come out of conference. Um, for me, the, the biggest thing was the reaffirmation of the Green New Deal by the membership um, at, at conference. And I think if the leadership is wise, which I don't think it is, but if it was wise, it should be front and centre of, of what we're doing as a party. Um, and, and yeah, to, to echo earlier comments, I think, yeah, I, I, I've lost interest in, in a redemption of, of the leadership at this point. They're, 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 for me, they're, they're politically done in, in terms of my, my chances of me getting behind them politically is over. But I stay in the party because you know there's many many people, particularly at a local level, that are you know they are trying to do the right thing. They are they are trying to make positive change in their in their communities, um, and and I've got a lot of time for those people. Um, so that that's why I stay in the party to to work with them and to support them. There we go. That's a nice message as well. I suppose my takeaways would be. Um, you know, support the Green New Deal, support proportional representation and electoral reform, um, join a trade union, and uh, I, I suppose that's goodbye from, from everyone. So goodbye from me, goodbye from Callum Roper. Goodbye, everyone. Stay safe, and I'm sure we'll have some uh, more political ups and downs to bring you next time. Goodbye from Callum Watt. Good night, all. See you soon. And a goodbye from Bradley. See you, folks. 
Okay, take care everyone. We'll see you next time.